Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian, and I am one of the youth pastors that we have on staff, in case you are new, and I'm glad that you all have chosen to worship with us this morning. I hope each one of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and um, we are going to uh, have a great time this morning. If you have your Bible and you like to follow along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. The scriptures will also be up on the screen in just a moment. Um, Has anybody ever had one job in your life that maybe you were tasked with doing something and you failed to do it? Uh, Maybe if even at all, um, or maybe you botched the job, you you got part of it done. Um, Maybe this past Thanksgiving, uh, a couple days ago, you were tasked with bringing a dish to the family Thanksgiving meal or maybe to a friend's giving, and then you got preoccupied with your dish being in the oven, and, and you, you walked away from the oven just a few minutes too long, and uh, the, the dish got really badly burned. Hopefully that didn't happen to anybody in here, but the internet is full of examples of things and people who were tasked with doing one simple job who failed to do it. Now, in case, I'm sure many of you have probably seen these types of things, but, but in case you, you haven't quite caught on to these things before, um, I'd love to just show you a couple examples as we begin this morning. Um, maybe the first one would be something like this, where somebody was tasked with writing something on the ground um, and misspelled the word pretty badly. Uh, that should say fire, not fry. Or maybe uh, some orange uh, p- pumpkin pails should be in that, but instead they were blue. I think somebody got the memo wrong, or um, how's about the pouring spout being put in a completely wrong part there? In, in case you can't see this, um, this slide is missing a section. This would be really fine as long as you're going fast enough. Um, otherwise, you're going to get pretty badly hurt. This would freak me out if, if I got one of these as a kid. Uh, they put the eye on upside down there. Or uh, maybe this last one. If you got started and and realized, (laughs) that'd be really bad. Well, um, I would love to be able to tell you that I am a a perfect person and that I have never been able, uh, never been that person that's botched up my one job. Um, And I was asking my wife, Casey, uh, we've been married for about 10 years, and and I was asking her, do you have any examples of, of times where I was, you know, handed one job and I failed to do it? She said, we don't have enough hours in the day. um, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. But I did come up with one great example of a time where uh, we were out, um, we we went up to visit my my grandmother who was living up in West Virginia at the time. Um, And my family has about 500 acres of farmland that had been in the the, uh, family for a number of years. Um, And it's important to note, my grandfather had passed away about five years prior to uh, this trip that Casey and I went up to visit my grandmother. Um, and my grandfather was the sole person who would like clear the trails and, and make the, the farmland look good. But we had decided to go over to the farm um, after visiting my grandmother. Um, and we wanted to, to go and I wanted to show her this really neat rock formation on our property that we called Cap Rock. And it's about a 20 minute hike to get up and you have to go through the woods and kind of go over this beautiful meadow. And then you find this beautiful rock with a little scenic overlook. Really cool thing. So we had actually blazed our own trail, um, and I knew that there was a trail on the way back down that we could get back down to the farmhouse. So we were kind of cutting through the woods. We found it. We had a really great time hanging out at Cap Rock. She was um, impressed. She liked it. It was cool. Um, and then it, the time came for us to begin to leave. Well, um, keep in mind, the trails, they're, they're, the trails were not at all like kept up. There was overgrowth all over the area. 
um, there was a gate at the end of this meadow where we were supposed to go down and it was going to lead us all the way down this trail to get back to the farmhouse. What I failed to know is there were, there were actually two gates that lead us um, on this property. One takes you down to the farmhouse and the other one kind of snakes around and takes you to a whole nother piece of land that I don't even think was in our family's uh, property. And we had taken that first gate and we were starting to see things I had never seen before. Now, it's important to note, before this hike, Casey was not feeling well. She was really not even like wanting to go on the hike, but she was being a really good sport about it. Um, so so uh, I'm starting to see things like I had never seen before, like rusted cars and like a cabin. I was like, where did this cabin come from? Why is, why is there? I, I, I was blown away. Like I'd never seen some of this before. And I was like, are we even on the right land? Well, a couple hours go by. And um, I'm trying to figure out where on earth I went wrong. So Casey, not feeling well, she stayed down where we were. I told her I would hike back up to the top, find our bear- get my bearings. I found this second gate. We had taken our dog with us at the time. The dog got lost like a couple hours into this whole adventure. I thought she was like bit by a snake or fell in a cave or something. We ended up finding her later. We found our way back. We've, we made our way, like the sun was going down on us. My grandmother was really worried about us. It was not a good situation. Um, I failed to find our way back, and, and I failed pretty miserably. And I don't think Casey's ever been hiking with me ever since. Um, but we've, we've all messed up. We've all had these situations in our, in our lives where perhaps we were given one task, and we failed to do it. Even pastors. Pastors have been known to mess up. Churches have been known to mess up. And we all mess up. Nobody is perfect. And I saw a post on social media recently. And it made me kind of raise an eyebrow. It, it didn't sit well with me. And this is from a religious person. Um, I think that they have some questionable theology if they call themselves a Christian. And this is not anybody that, that goes here. So, so don't like look at your neighbor and wonder if it's them. Um, but it said on Facebook, here's what they said. I wish that there was a local church who actually followed what the Bible said. One that doesn't keep pagan holidays like Christmas and Easter and try to Christianize Halloween. And he went on to say, let's join together the early Christians with the pagan sun god worship, uh, with the pagan sun god worship and move the Sabbath to Sunday to please everyone. Am I asking too much lukewarm churches? Now, I want to let you know, like, I I don't agree with any of what this person is trying to get at, but it did kind of make me think, you know, okay, yeah, maybe we do kind of commercialize Christmas a lot, and sometimes we, we lose the meaning for the season, the reason for the season of why it is that we're celebrating Christmas to begin with. And Christmas, we are, we are getting to begin, beginning to enter into one of the most exciting seasons out of the entire church calendar. Advent, where we get to celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago with the coming of our Savior, the birth of our Savior. And in a way, we, being Christians today, get to celebrate and look forward to and anticipate the second coming of Jesus as well during this season. So as we begin to enter into this time, my prayer for us as a church is that we won't lose the meaning of this. We would actually rejoice and celebrate not just one day, not just Christmas, not just Easter, but every single Sunday and every single day out of, out of the years, our lives should be filled with praise and all of who God is and what he has done for us and to worship the one true God. This morning, we're going to do that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. 
And we're going to be looking at some of the last few words that Jesus gave his disciples as he reappeared after his resurrection, uh, the death and, and burial and resurrection. He appeared back to the disciples. He spent roughly 40 days with them. And here we are going to see that Jesus gave his disciples one job as he reappeared to them. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, And while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of Israel, the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. I, I kind of wish it would stop right there. Like imagine being one of those disciples like, huh, yeah, <laughs> crazy. But it goes on to say, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so it was, the disciples were handed their first job. Now it's important to note about what these, what, what these disciples had encountered over the last three years. Okay, we, They had an incredible journey that they had spent with Jesus. They heard everything that he taught. They saw every miracle that he performed, and they heard every sermon that he preached. Jesus even told them and explained to them things that he didn't necessarily explain to the crowds when he was teaching. When Jesus was crucified, the disciples, had must, they must have been devastated and had their worlds rocked, and they must have been left utterly confused. Even though he predicted his own death, the disciples were caught off guard because they expected him to take up David's throne and to restore the kingdom of Israel. And after his death, Jesus then rose from the dead, and the disciples were once more confused. Jesus spent 40 days with them after his resurrection, so we can be sure that after those 40 days, the disciples were not in any way confused as to why Jesus came and what his purpose was and why he reappeared to them, right? Well, let's look once more at Acts chapter 1, verse 6. These disciples, they asked this question, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time, now that you're back here with us, restore the kingdom of Israel? No, the disciples, they still don't get it. They still are not getting the big picture. The disciples were still confused. They were, ex they were still expecting Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth at that moment. And this group of confused men would shortly take on one job of being his witness with reckless abandon. And they would give their lives for this one job. So what is it that caused such a transformation in these disciples' lives? They were confused, and they were scared, and they were, they were um, useless. But all of a sudden, they were transformed to become powerful and effective witnesses for him. So we're going to see what happens later in Acts. But in verse 8, Jesus makes a promise to them. In this promise, he says, you will receive power. It's not you might receive power, you may receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit comes and indwells and literally like resides in their bodies and the disciples of, of the disciples so that Jesus can continue to use them and to teach through them. Jesus does not stop working when he leaves. As a matter of fact, his work is really just getting started because he's having an exponential effect using these men that still remain. He, he begins to work through his believers and he begins working through them so that they can successfully complete this job that they were given. So what is this one job? What is the job that, the, that Jesus tasks his disciples with doing? The disciples were given one job and that was to be his witnesses. That was to be his witnesses. Their one job was wrapped up in this word witness. And a witness is somebody who shares what they have seen or what they have heard. The witnessing comes from some kind of personal experience or encounter. So if somebody testifies in court, the only testimony that is, accept is accepted is what the person has personally seen or heard or experienced. And if the witness begins to share something that somebody else has seen or heard, then the defense attorney will yell out a term and they will say hearsay, which basically means, hey, look, no, that's not a personal encounter. That's something that somebody else encountered. And then the judge will intervene and say to the jury, do not listen to any of what that person just said because it's hearsay. There has to be some kind of personal element to this. Being Jesus' witness involves having a personal experience with Jesus. And this, is, this to me is why youth ministry is so important. And in children's ministry, here at church, at River Oaks, we try to give our students and our children personal opportunities to encounter Jesus. We try to give them these unique experiences and opportunities every single Sunday to point them closer to Jesus. Because it's not just enough to be spoon-fed by your parents. We have to, um, the parenting at the home and, and bringing the faith tradition into, into the home unit is so important, but it's also equally as important to have the church come alongside that and to give these personal, unique opportunities for children and students to respond. A form of the original word for witness shows up 39 times in the book of Acts. You could say that the entire book of Acts involves the work of the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. These disciples continue, do, continue to do what Jesus did and taught by being his witness. We are called to be conduits, likewise. We are called to be um, these, these vessels that are um, taking what Jesus has taught us and allowing that to be transformed and flowing in and through us into the people that we encounter. You see, as disciples, we're not simply called to be holding tanks. It's not enough to simply just show up on a Sunday morning, which is really important. Like, worship here, I'm so glad that you all are here. Like, this would be really boring for me to be up here preaching to myself again. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you all are here. But it's not enough to just be here this morning and to experience worship. What we as disciples are called to do every week, when we hear a message and when we have unique opportunities that God kind of intervenes in our lives, is we are called to go out of the walls of this building and to take that to the world around us and to be vessels. You see, a flowing river purifies itself because of the flowing water that moves in and through it. But has anybody been to a swamp before or driven by one? A swamp is a, is a vessel of water, a, a body of water, where there are many inlets, but zero outlets for the water to escape. And because of that, the water becomes stale and stagnant, and it smells really bad. 
That's the same with our personal spiritual lives. It's not enough to be a holding tank. Our bodies, like our spiritual lives, they'll become stale and stagnant if we don't branch out of our comfort zones and allow God to use us in amazing ways to be his witnesses. The second thing that we can learn is that being his witness means to make known what Jesus did and taught. So in order to be a witness, we have to know the things that Jesus did and taught. And sometimes it can be really hard to know this. I know that many times in my life, if I've ever engaged with somebody, that, that be, they're, you know, the, the typical conversation is, oh, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a youth pastor at a church. And they're like, oh, wow, I've got a lot of questions for you. Like, okay, here we go. And uh, usually they know the Bible as a non-believer a lot better than I feel like I do. So it's really important as Christians for us to know what Jesus did and taught in order to be an effective witness. You see, Jesus, he healed the blind and the lame, and he cast out the demons, and he helped the hurting. He taught on subjects like love and forgiveness and money, and he was also a ninja. Okay, just kidding. I'm seeing if you're awake, but but seriously, think about this. When next time you're reading through the Gospels, if you if you really want to like have some blown away moments in your quiet time this week, look for ninja moments of Jesus. All right, like all of a sudden he's with the crowds, and all of a sudden, boom, he disappears. He's gone. Like ninja moment. Okay, it'll change. I promise, it'll transform your your quiet time. All right, but Jesus, <laughs> y'all are like only thing he taught was Jesus was a ninja. Jesus wanted to transform the broken and the lost and the hurting. He wanted to intervene in people's lives who needed healing touch. Jesus was all about the brokenness of people. And I love the imagery that the prophet Isaiah uses of transformation. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 verse 8 it says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. What a beautiful imagery that is. That we are called to be malleable. We can't just be so hardened in our hearts and hardened on the outside and gruff. But we have to be malleable. We have to be open to and receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit that is going to be taking place in our lives. And there's an element to this that we're never really finished Like, God is always working on us. He's always changing us. He's always molding us to become more like Him. Transformation was at the heart of all that Jesus did and taught. Transformation was at the heart of all that Jesus did and taught. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of understood this imperative focal point that Jesus had as he encouraged the, as he encouraged it, encouraged the churches in Rome and Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 it says this, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus began this process of transformation and if you keep seeking after him, he's going to continue to transform you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This process is something that we all need, and we all need it daily. Transformation begins by trusting Christ as your Savior. This process begins the day that you begin to trust 
Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is kind of a, a churchy word that sometimes we, we use, but it's called the gospel. And the gospel is something that some people can make it really complicated, but it's really simple in its beginnings and what it really means. All of us have some sort of brokenness or pain or hurt in our lives. And really all of this kind of goes back to the very beginning of the book of the Bible in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. God created them and he had perfect fellowship with them. He had this koinonia, this fellowship that was so great and he literally resided with them in the garden. But just like us, Adam and Eve, they went their own way. They chose their own path by, by eating of the one tree that Jesus told them, that God told them not to eat from. And in doing so, they chose a path that would lead them apart from God. And if you're like me, I have multiple sins in, in, in my life, but really, if, if you have just one sin that you've done at one time in your life, it is enough to completely remove you from the presence of a holy and a righteous and a perfect God. Because God cannot be in the presence of sin. But God being who he was, and loving the pinnacle of his creation, he stopped and he said, hey, it's not, this isn't right. And he, he provided a way out. He gave us his one and only son, who was the atoning sacrifice, who paid the redemption, who was the redeeming sacrifice, who redeemed us and, and washed the sin away from our lives so that we could be restored to him. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. So when we mess up, when we fail to do our one job, when, when, when sin enters our life, the wages for that is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And trusting Christ is only the beginning of this transformation process, okay? So that's the very first step. Transformation continues as God begins to make us whole again. Wholeness is such a great idea. It's a great concept. It's something that I think that we, in a way, all aspire to, to have in our lives. Like, wholeness is, is great. Um, maybe this past Thanksgiving you were with your family and you went to the, the kids were saying they were bored or something like that. So you went to the game closet and you pulled out a puzzle. And then you sat down with your, your, your kids and as a family, y'all worked on a puzzle for a little while. Has anybody ever done the puzzle that's already been done before and it's missing that one piece? I'm so type A, and so it, like that drives me crazy, and it like makes me start tw twitching, and then I think somebody's playing a, a mean prank on me. I'm like, who who took the one piece? But really, like we're all missing something, and so many of us we try to to grasp for things to fit that one piece back into our lives that we feel like is missing. Some of us we 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 try to find wholeness in our jobs, or in a sport, or in a relationship. Sometimes even with a spouse, or maybe with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe we try to find wholeness in, in a job like security through our bank accounts. But what happens when all of a sudden the employer begins to make layoffs? Or what happens when, when an injury happens on the sports field? Or what happens when all of a sudden the relationship is gone? Or what happens when a recession hits and begins to affect the bank account? The wholeness quickly turns to emptiness. And there we are left grasping one more time. When we surrender our lives to God, we, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Jesus is what brings us that wholeness. 
But that process, it doesn't just stop there. The fun is just beginning because Jesus begins to work in other areas of our lives to transform our hearts, become more like his heart. The power of the Holy Spirit changes our selfish hearts to be selfless, our angry hearts to become full of peace, and our broken hearts to be made whole. This is something that we all need on a daily basis. Transformation is transmitted when we become the witness. Transformation is transmitted when we become his witnesses. In John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it's, it's some of the most famous, it's one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible that many people know by heart. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then it goes on to say this in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus did not come to cast judgment on people, on the, on the lost world. He knew that he was coming down to a very broken and hurt and, and, and pain-filled world. He left his throne in, in heaven and he came down and he entered into that in the most humble of ways. And he came to save the world through him. But a lot of non-believers believers in the world, they know Christianity for what we are against rather than what we're for. They think that we're against all of these different things and they begin to name them. And I would be quick to agree that God's will is, is that we would not live in this like life of sin. God does not desire for us to continue to do these things and just have no remorse whatsoever. And there's some element that we all need a little bit of like poking and prodding to, to be able to have this realization that there's something that's not right within us that needs to be redeemed and restored. But I would say for the people that are out there that perhaps point the finger in, in ways that condemn and are demeaning, that they're actually being a bad witness to the name of Christianity. That we need to instead like think about what would it be like if Christianity, if Christians were known for what we are for rather than what we're against. We should be for loving others. What if we were for serving the needy and the orphans and the widows? Two weekends ago, um, the men's service team from our church came together and partnered with uh, a ministry that is a part of our local missions uh, partners called City Lights. And uh, they have identified, they have a list of over 200 children in Winston-Salem that do not have beds in their homes. And some of these children have even been removed from their family units by DSS because they don't have a bed. And once they get a bed, they're able to be restored with their families. And so the men's service team came together and spent the whole entire Saturday morning building bunk beds for kids in Winston-Salem that do not have a bed. That's what I believe that Jesus is for. Like we, and, and it's not just about the building, it's about the meaning behind the building. And when City Lights goes and delivers these beds, they don't just go and provide a basic need, they actually share the gospel with them. And they tell them about why we do these things, and they point these children and these families to Jesus. What if we gave of our time to serve in homeless shelters and food banks? And instead of loving the world, sometimes what we do is we throw scripture at people and we expect them to change their behavior and act in a way that honors God. But sometimes these non-believers in the world, throwing a scripture at them is meaningless because they don't know the reason behind why we're saying this. They don't get it. They don't, they're not reading the Bible. So what honors God is to allow our own hearts to be transformed to be like his, then to love the world around us, 
so that we can show them who Jesus is. We're not called to throw rocks of condemnation, but we are called to reach out a hand in love. Jesus spent time with sinners, eating with them, hanging out with them in their homes, and he turned their hearts to him through love and through relationship. He was for them, and he wanted to see them changed. As a matter of fact, the people who turned their nose up at what Jesus was doing was the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people who thought, why is he even like encountering these people? Why is he he's going to become unclean just by being in their presence? They missed the point. Transformation is transmitted from person to person. Now, I'm no medical professional, but diseases are transmitted in a couple of different ways. Sometimes illnesses can be caught just by being in the presence of somebody else that's sick. This would be a, an airborne illness that, that can enter into your body. Other times, you, you catch a sickness through personal contact. And through personal contact, the virus is transmitted from one person to the next. Now, I'm not saying that we should be diseases, but I am saying that we as Christians should go out and affect the world around us or infect the world around us with our love and with our hope that we have. We should be agents of change. Transformation is caught by personal contact with a loving Christ follower who has allowed the Holy Spirit to demonstrate Christ in them to others. And the last thing that we can learn this morning is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit allows Jesus to continue what he started. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit when it comes within you, if you are a believer here this morning, the day that you gave your life to Jesus and became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered into your heart. And it allows Jesus to continue what he has started 2,000 years ago and to use you to do it. The disciples, they were a fascinating case study, and I mentioned this earlier. But as a, at the end of their time, Jesus... Uh, with Jesus, the disciples were scared, and they were confused and paralyzed, and the Holy Spirit came, and as Jesus had promised, they all of a sudden became a band of brothers. And they went out, and they carried about their one job that Jesus gave them with reckless abandon. Some of them even gave their lives for the cause of making the name of Jesus famous among the nations. They put their popularity on the lines and they said, hey, I don't care about popularity. I care about my one job. They put their lives on the line. Dr. Thomas L. Constable, he was a well-known Dallas Seminary professor and also pastor. And he said that without this divine enablement or the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have only been able to follow Jesus' example. But with it, Jesus could literally continue to do his work and to teach his words through them. And that's so important. Without the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, all we would be able to do is, the, the best hope we would have is to be able to be a, like a, a mirror, where we're trying to look at Jesus' example and we're following it. But with the Holy Spirit coming alongside us in our lives, we are able to be transformed and for that to flow through us and to be used in ways that we would never imagine. Jesus is in the business of transformation. So it begs this question. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? The first job that you have is to give your life over to Him. Are you allowing Christ to change you through the power of the Holy Spirit? If you profess Christ as your Savior, your life should look vastly different from the world around you. Like everybody who is in the secular world around you, you should, there should be something that is different in your life. And lastly, are you sharing in word and in deed all that Jesus did and taught? Said another way, are you being His witness? 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here it says, in word and deed. And I believe that sometimes, like, as Christians, we pick one of the two. And we're like, well, I'm not really good with the whole, like, gospel thing. I'm, I'm not, like, a seminary professor. I don't really know how to do all this. I don't have my, my master's in divinity. So I'm just going to let that be up to the paid professionals. And we choose instead to focus our lives on doing good deeds, which is great. Um, and maybe the, inver- the inverse of that, too, is also true of some people. Maybe they are, like, really good with words, but then they go home and then they're, like, spitting out hateful things to their family members or they're not a fun person to be around and their actions do not back up the words that they share. I believe that when we are truly to operate as Jesus' witnesses to be the best and most effective people that we can, the two of those go hand in hand in word and deed. So why does it matter if we share Jesus with other people? Because without Jesus, all of us would spend an eternity in a place that is away from the presence of God. And the Bible is very clear when it says that that place is hell. And that place is is not anywhere that any one of us wants to be. And when the reality of this became clear to me, it became very clear about what my role was as a Christian. To be a witness and to help show the love of Jesus to all the people around me. And one of our amazing youth volunteers, um, we have such a great team of leaders that that pour into our children and our students week after week. Um, But one of our youth leaders, he was up teaching our students one time. And he said that um, this, in regards to being a witness, he said, failing to be a witness is like being on the Titanic as it's sinking. And you have a life jacket on and you're going around straightening the pictures on the wall rather than throwing other people the life jackets that are right there at your side. What a great picture. We, as as the church, have a one job, and that is to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. So how will you be his witness? Trust Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to transform transform your heart, and share in word and in deed what Jesus has done and taught in your life. So begin an intentional lifestyle of evangelism. As we wrap up, I want to give you a few ways that you can practically apply this to your life. Maybe starting today or tomorrow as you go back to work. Um, I borrowed this from another pastor that I heard say, say this, but it's called the pray for five, all right? So the first is you choose five people in your life who don't know Jesus. And you take an index card or maybe a sticky note and you write down these five names on the sticky card, sticky note, note card. You put it somewhere that you see every day. Maybe you slip it into the corner of your bathroom mirror. Maybe you put it on the dash of your car. You look at it and you see these names day after day after day. All right? The next way is you treat them with kindness and love. And you pray for opportunities to talk to these five people about spiritual things. You pray for God's spirit to give you boldness and to step out of your comfort zone. You share the gospel message in love and in truth. And you treat them with love and kindness regardless of of the response. Um, my wife and I, we, we had some wood floors put into our home last year, and uh, we got to become really good friends with the guy that did it. And we invited him to church one day with us, and he wasn't really looking forward to that. He, he said no in the kindest of ways. Um, as a matter of fact, he said, you know what, my, my mom kind of drugged me around to all these different religious establishments when I was a child, and it kind of just, the, the church scene is not my jam. And I respected that. I actually said, thank you for being honest with me. You know, and so what it, what it allowed me to do is I'm going to continue to pray for him. I'm going to continue to pray that maybe through me and through other 
Christians that encounter this man that maybe he would encounter Jesus, which is the seventh one. Continue to pray for them and maybe invite them to church. This is one of the best times of years we begin to enter into this Advent season for, for non-Christians to be, a, be open and receptive to coming to church. Advent and Easter um, and Christmas are some of the best times. So maybe just extend an invitation. Say, hey, I'd love to even maybe come pick you up. Would be glad for you to join me. So if you're a follower of Christ, he's given you one job. What will he say to you when he sees you at the end of this life? For me, I hope to hear what the master told his servant, whom he entrusted with some talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with little, now you will be entrusted with lots. You may enter into the joy of your master. My biggest fear is that I would fail to do the one job that Jesus has given me. And he would say, you had one job, but you became consumed with less important things and failed to be my witness to all that I did and taught. Will you pray with me? Lord, how great you are, and greatly to be praised. God, you already know the things in our lives that need redemption. You know the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. God, we pray that you would just intervene in such a way that your presence would be so greatly felt. And for anybody who might take up this Pray for Five challenge, Lord, I pray that you already know those people that would be written down on these, these note cards. And I pray that you would show up in every one of those people's lives and that you would draw them through the Holy Spirit into your presence and that you would fill them with more of yourself. Fill our hearts with love and boldness to share with them the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And if anybody is here today and does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would give their lives to you by accepting that we are all sinners and that your grace is sufficient in giving us your only son, Jesus, to be that atoning sacrifice for our brokenness. Use us to change the world the way that you did with the disciples in the, in the book of Acts. Use us to bring about a great revival in our town, in our state, in our country, and to the world by being a witness with our words and deeds. In Jesus' holy and perfect name we pray. Amen.